Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. On this very special episode, Keith and I have an in-depth conversation with one of the founding fathers of the modern tactical training era. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. This episode is brought to you by Target Sports USA. Be sure to check out their ammo membership, which gets you 8% off, free shipping on all ammo orders, and a whole lot more, all for $95 a year. If you'd like to sign up or purchase ammo, please go to targetsportsusa.com forward slash the gun experiment. And as always, I cannot start the show without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, how are we doing? Doing good, buddy. I'm I'm excited. I uh, I got the text message. You're uh, getting the 22 uh, neighborhood shoot ready to go again. I am. I we're at least trying trying to get the numbers up. But yeah, if we can get everybody to show up on the same day, we'll shoot 22s. I, I don't want any excuses of why you're afraid to defend your uh, my title. Your title. <sighs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm, I'm I, tired of being a bridesmaid. So I can't help it if people <laughs> don't show up. That's not my fault. I can't help it if they're scared. Anyway, I want to spend as much time as I can with tonight's guest. Um, so I want to get right into this. Tonight's interview is brought to us by Flatline Fiberco. Flatline creates quality sewn goods for the firearms community, whether you're looking for a new sling or maybe some ear pro wraps to make range sessions a little more comfortable, they got you covered. All products are made by hand in the USA, include free shipping and have a lifetime warranty. Use the discount code GUNEXPERIMENT10 at checkout to get 10% off. And thank you for supporting the companies that support the show. So, I'm super excited for this interview. I know you are. Today's, I am too, actually. Yeah, I'm sure. You of all people. <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> all right, so let's do this. Today's guest is a Marine Corps veteran of two infantry and combined action platoon tours in Vietnam. His experience includes seven years as a police officer, during which he served as head of the firearms train division, as well as being a SWAT member and precision rifleman. He would eventually go on to create the 900-acre premier destination for world-class firearms training known as Thunder Ranch. Please welcome the one and only Clint Smith to the show. Clint, how are we doing? I'm doing fine. How are you guys? We're doing great. Thank you for coming on. No problem. We need to get more people to go to the 22 shoot. Yes, yeah, you're, you're welcome. You're, you're invited. You, we're, you're, you, we'll, we'll say you live in the neighborhood. Yeah, for sure. If, if you can make it to New York, you're in. Yeah. A little bit of a trip. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So first off, I want to uh, thank you for your service to, to your country. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. No problem. Lots of people did it. Yeah. So let's start with that. While serving in Vietnam, you were part of the Marine Corps Combined Action Program, which from what I understand was an effort to provide reinforcement and training in the uh, to the Vietnamese. Was it during that time that you realized that training others was to be your life's work or did that sort of develop later on? No, I think it sort of developed later on. I didn't realize that actually in that particular application, I would be doing what I call digging the basement. And then later on in life, I would decide to build the foundation over it and the house. But that was a really good starting point because between language barriers and, you know, the idea of what we were trying to do in the village, you know, they always joke about hearts and minds, but that actually, if anybody researches the cap units they were very effective in what they did and um you know i was grateful to be a part of it i went to the army language institute even though i was in the marine corps so i very poorly <laughs> spoke <laughs> vietnamese i mean at schools like that they teach you how to welcome people to dinner and what you really <laughs> need is gotten over there you know yeah. so but it's like all government things they don't actually do what you'd like for them to do in some cases yeah. Did, did you find, were there valuable lessons that you possibly learned from working with uh, people from a totally different culture? You know, I feel like obviously now you're not maybe dealing with those issues, but was there something that came out of that experience that you later were able to use in your, in your you know, career now? I, I think so. And with all respect uh, to everyone involved, both the Vietnamese and the students I have now, I would say, you know, one of the things that I learned from that was know all your students, but don't trust any of them. And people take that wrong. Sometimes I just mean like, you know, when people come, they're excited. A lot of people have wait, you know, waited up to a year, you know, to come to school here. And so we just got to take everybody to kind of take a chill pill, <laughs> slow down, you know, and, and focus on what's here, you know, which is in our role. We're working with personal defense. 
Yeah. Do you find, so, I mean, Thunder Ranch is, you know, it really does. It has that sort of, there's like an aura to it. You know, I've, I've had many guests and, you know, that name sort of is like, oh, Thunder Ranch, you know, do, do you find that when people get there, they are in sort of awestruck a bit because of the magnitude of what you guys are doing there? And, and is it hard for people to kind of uh, take that chill pill, as you said? No, I think that people get it. Um, you know, when we do a three day class, I take the first day and use four hours or three and a half hours of the first day to kind of get not in a bad way, but in a positive way, get inside people's heads and go, okay, slow down. You already know what you know. What you're trying to find out is what we know. And I don't know everything. So that means we're on the same side. <laughs> I mean, I got, I still like my job. Uh, you know, um, the same thing I did this morning, you know, I go and give the lecture and then the staff supports me, like as far as doing all that stuff on the range. So, um, but yeah, I think that people, uh, you know, uh, are somewhat, you know, people go like, well, it's like the Disneyland of guns. Absolutely not. Uh, I don't want to be associated with that ideology. You know, we have a purpose and we try to give people what they want. Uh, and I kind of go, okay, great. You teach me everything you know about running your podcast in three days and I'll teach you everything I know about shooting after <laughs> 15 years. If that's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. And, and would you say like, I read somewhere that you, you still do teach actual classes out on the range, but obviously you have a lot of students and obviously you have other instructors at Thunder Ranch, but do you do every sort of briefing Did I read that correctly, that you actually do te talk to every single student that comes through there? Yes. I talk to everyone. Um, you know, I basically, shall we say either mentally or physically touch everyone. And I mean that in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, yeah, I still enjoy it. I still do it. And I want people to know that when they come here, that I'm going to be a part of what's going on. And, you know, um, bluntly at my age, every once in a while, you know, like you'll have an issue like, Hey, I need a new knee operation. So, you know, I might miss a day or two, but I try to be a part of every class. And I still say that, um, I have senior range instructors, you know, my guys that have been with me a long time, uh, they're rock solid. They run the thing. Um, but, um, I try to always be on the range, uh, and let people, you know, know that not being ugly, but you, you have to let people know that you actually give a shit. I want people to know that the reason they're coming here is to get a self-defense skill. It's something I never want them to use, but I always want them to be competent at it. So I try to support that. You, you, uh, is there a point in time where you really realized that your name was becoming so associated with top-notch firearms training? I mean, one of the articles that I had seen from Recoil Magazine, you know, they titled you the godfather of tactical training. So at some point in time, you know, did it, did it hit you like a ton of bricks? Like people are awestruck, right? When they come to Thunder Ranch and they do get, you know, you do need to probably calm them down a little bit. So was there a point in time where that sort of happened that you can recall? No, I don't actually think so. You know, I have a couple of things there. I'm not of all the people on the planet, I'm the least impressed with me. And I <laughs> is, uh, you know, uh, I spend a lot of my time looking out the windshield and I very little time looking in the rear view mirror. You know, I mean, um, uh, 50 years from now, I'll be dead. No one will know, no one will care. So the really valuable thing that I can leave behind are competent instructors who can teach more competent instructors. So, you know, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm not too worried about Clint. You know, I mostly, I, I'm ornery, okay? But, you know, uh, I've done a lot of weird shit in my life. So, you know, I, I think I have a, um, I think it's okay that I'm ornery. You know I mean? Uh, and people, you know, if you want stuff sugar-coated, you should go see your mom. Yeah. You know, I'm teaching gunfighting, okay? And, uh, you know, some people go like, well, you know, I don't like it because he swears once in a while. Well, <laughs> if you're offended by that, I got news for you. When someone tries to kill you, you're really going to be jacked up. OK, so, um, you know, I don't sugarcoat everything. I tell people the way stuff is. But if let's say someone makes a mistake and they turn around on the range and point a rifle at me, uh, I correct that problem and I ask them not to do that again. And sometimes I'm louder than others. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, everybody has a point where you kind of go like, oh, geez, you know, but I have very little of that. You know, um, uh, we got a lot of brand new students, I think, in this year when we get done, because we have our last class of the year going literally right now. And we have if you look at the weather map, uh, we're butt deep in snowflakes and use grenade rings. But, <laughs> you know, um, they're hanging in. And I think, uh, you know, this is going to be an awesome class because 
you're learning, but you have to deal with the inclement weather. You know, your hands are cold and not everything is going to be perfect. I mean, you know, um, it's just why it's called fighting. You know, nothing is ever perfect. Well, I think, I think, you know, uh, that's a really well-grounded and uh, modest attitude. And uh, I I think that's just a testament of the character of the man that you are. I, I pride myself on, on not being around the bush. You know, Mike will tell you our, our friendship is, always grown with me uh, telling them the way it is. And I don't, I don't think there's enough of us out there like that, you know? Uh, so I think it's a good thing. Do you struggle with this woke culture that we're, I mean, you must struggle a lot with that. Yeah. I, I don't worry about it. You know, I know what I identify as. I don't care what other people do. And to be honest with you, I teach a lot of different people with different backgrounds and different ideologies, but mine is a simple choice. If they've made the effort to come here and do what we're doing, then I make the effort and, and I don't care what their gender is. I don't care what their preferences are. I have a simple job. Okay. I'm not running for high school class president. My job is to keep you alive. And bluntly, you know, if like someone comes here and you know, they, if somebody go, well, that person's slightly overweight. That's not my issue. My only issue is to point it out to them and go like, Hey, great. You need to take better care of yourself because in a fight, no one's going to give you a break because you got a bad leg. Cause you're overweight. Cause you wear glasses. Okay. Cause you're a girl. No, no one's going to care. I mean, uh, and so, you know, I address it in that way, but, uh, there's a fine line between being rude and being forthright. Sure. And I always walk that line very carefully, uh, with people. I don't think being rude to people accomplishes what we want, but I think being forthright with people, maybe we could use a little bit more of that on occasion. That's a good way to put that. Well, I hit a few of those boxes there, Clint. I didn't hit the woman box, but, uh, you know, the overweight, bad knee and, uh, glasses (laughs) might've fit me pretty well. Yeah. You've never met Keith, but you you nailed them. One's enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you mentioned, uh, you said something about in 50 years not being here. I heard that a rumor that you said, uh, that you plan on teaching one class a week once you're dead. That's, that was your goal. You said at least one, you know, I'd (laughs) like to be like that stuffed deer, you know, that they have or that stuffed bass that's on the wall at Fox. So, uh, I've been known to teach a class while I'm in bed asleep. My wife reminds me that, Hey, you were teaching handgun one last night, you know? So, uh, it's hardwired, man. It's what you do. It's it's your life. And it's always been my life and I've been lucky. I never had a job I didn't like, and this has been a magnificent job. You know, I started in 83 as far as teaching my own business, and I've been self-supported and self-subsidized, okay, since 83, and I like it, you know, so it's awesome. Nice. So as Keith Keith had mentioned earlier, your reputation as a teacher is, is renowned, but difficult and trying times are often life's best teachers, right? So while I've had my share of tough times, I can honestly say none compared to serving in the Vietnam War and then returning to what some would call an ungrateful nation. Uh, could you share some of the life lessons and wisdom that you gained from that time in your life? Clint just told you, doesn't look in the rearview mirror. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm forcing them. I'm, I'm making them. To be really honest with you, I think that sometimes when you're 18 years old, you really don't realize you know, and then you're 19 and then you're 20. And then literally when I came home from Vietnam, you know, I wasn't 21 yet. And my dad had to sign for me to buy a car with money that I made while I didn't save while I was in Vietnam. I mean, but you know, things change and times change like they are now. And I think that we all kind of have challenges and probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me is my wife, Heidi. She supported me for 25 years and to have somebody who'll stand in ground with you, um, while things don't always go exactly right. Um, I mean, it's life. Everybody's got things that they don't care for. Um, you know, I've seen things that I believe, you know, are tragedies. Um, but you know, um, you can put your head down and cry about it, or you can lift your head up and go, okay, how do I unscrew this? So it doesn't happen again. You know, I, I tell people in class, okay, gunfights are a lot like family vacations. Every one of us have planned one and none of the vacations came out the way we planned them. <laughs> yeah. so why would it be any different? You yeah, know, it's true. Yeah. You mentioned working with your wife and that's amazing. You know, my, my wife and I get along amazingly. Keith is very happily married. And truthfully, I know this sounds a little, a uh, little cheesy maybe, but like, you know, I, I love just being around my wife. Is, is it, uh, you have any advice for people that work with their spouses or that want to work with their spouses? How do you, how do you manage that? sort of, uh, you know, the role, the, those roles and then switch on date night. Yeah. 
I think it's good. And my wife will tell you that I absolutely am not perfect. Okay. So, I mean, that should be the first one, but also at the same time, uh, we're not looking for, for perfection in each other. We're looking for excellence in what we do. How do we treat people? You know, how are people treated? You know, when you talk about people going, Hey, you're very well known. Well, one of the things that we're real well known for that people don't really grasp has nothing to do with the school. It's the fact that you treat people and, and, a an honorable fashion, you know, and I know, like you said, it sounds cheesy because that word is so misused. Okay. You know, honor and integrity and stuff like that. Are we perfect? No, uh, we're not perfect. We don't do everything correctly. Every once in a while, there's not a roll of toilet paper in the bathroom. Okay. So you know, I, I got to go down and do that, but uh, I have a pretty good way of keeping myself in check. You know, usually at the end of every day, I'll go down and clean the bathroom myself. Okay. So it's a lot of like, don't ask people to do what you won't do for yourself. Yeah. There isn't any job that I haven't done, uh, as far as the school goes, um, that other people, you know, uh, can't do, or, you know, I, I, why would I ask you to clean the toilet? If, you know, um, and there's that line, you know, that yeah, you never make the owner sweep the floor. Yeah. That sounds really good. Uh, you know, until, you know, I, I had a guy one time tell me, Hey, if I was, own this place, I wouldn't clean all that shit up off the floor that someone backed the toilet up. And I go, that's why you'll never own the place like this. <laughs> Ain't that the why? true statement? Because yeah. you won't clean the toilet up, all right? And the school starts at the front of this property. You know, uh, when people come across the bridge, we have actually a covered bridge. It needs to be clean. It needs to be organized, okay? When people come and open the door in the classroom, the classroom is set up. And um, that's where... You know, she has her segment that she does very well, and I have my segment. And, you know, if I'm not feeling good, she'll cover it and, you know, and then, and vice versa. Oh, and trust me, okay, this winch can run the range, okay? <laughs> she'll burn down, all right? And I'm relatively nice compared to her on the range, okay? <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, and, and nothing's approved. It's approved, you know, it's just, uh, she can do the job, I can do the job, you know what I mean? I can clean the toilet and she can run the range and vice versa, you know what I mean? And I think that that's how you make that relationship work. Yeah. You know, you've mentioned the range a few times so far and I was reading about when you uh, left Gunsight and then you started your initial spot in Texas and then eventually you moved to where you are now and when you had the opportunity to open Thunder Ranch you, I believe the gentleman that you were partnered with said, you know, how long would it take you to, to get a setup and what you want? And you said something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing 10 minutes. I've, I've been planning this a long time. Um, what, what, what goes into that? I mean, you're, you're talking about a 900 acre ranch, you know, you said 10 minutes, but I'd love to know like what your, where your mind is at when you're starting to set up a facility like yours, are you saying, I want to be able to teach these kind of classes? So these are the kind of ranges I'm going to build or, I, I just would love to know your insight into building something like you built. Well, you have to visualize something that what I want to do is take people as close to conflict as I can without having injuries because injuries defeat the purpose of training. And, you know, uh, knock on wood, we've been really lucky. You know, I mean, we've had one medevac and that was basically heat exhaustion. Uh, but um, that was when we were in Texas and Texas was 3,500 acres and wow. we had 15 ranges total. Uh, and I could run probably one, two, three, three or four ranges at one time, but students' body size in Texas was 24. So I had five instructors plus myself. Uh, so, you know, it was easy to keep things moving because one thing I learned, you know, when you ask about things I learned, I always learned that when I was a cop and when I would go to police schools or when I would go to schools, I'd always go like, why are we sitting here? I mean, it's like the Marine Corps, you know, you have three years, okay, you know, or basically you have two years, you know, 12 months and two days or something of setting on your ass and then three days of sheer terror when you're <laughs> ass deep in 20 millimeter mortars, okay, you know, so um, it's it, it's not really hard and I always, in my mind's eye, pictured, okay, how can I take these people to this point? How can I make the target move? How can I make them move? Um, and, you know, uh, not being ugly, but like the range that we're on now is the 22nd range I built in my career. So I have a good idea of what I'm trying to accomplish with people. And, you know, um, that means on day one, when they get there, the range is set up, the range is clean. There's no trash. So there's no bullet holes and shit. You know, this, I always decided that I did minimize ass time and have everything be organized. Okay. And 
would I like to come here and shoot? And the answer is yes. So you, you know, you're, you're talking about not really, you know, looking back in the rearview mirror much and, but you also say, you know, you're not, you know, you're not perfect. What, what are some of the mistakes that you've made in your early career on these ranges and that you wouldn't, you know, that you would want to make sure no one else makes. Yeah, if you could get a mulligan, <laughs> what would it be? Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't, you know, some of it is kind of personal, but like, uh, I think that probably a lot of times, uh, if you have professional relationships with people, even though you're friends, you're a lot better off. Um, uh, I think another thing is, in my opinion, yeah. if your primary concern in coming into my world, my industry, if you're thinking about being rich or a millionaire, you need to get another job building <laughs> light bulbs. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, so I think a lot of times, you know, people get uh, axle wrapped about money. Uh, I already knew when I started this in 1983 that I would never be uh, a rich guy. And, you know, um, I'm also enamored with people who, for example, have professional careers like I'm a lawyer and I want to start a shooting school. And I go, why? Why don't you go be a lawyer? <laughs> Okay. You know, um, so I'm, I'm not that intrigued with people who cross out of their world and want to come to mine because I don't cross out of mine and go to theirs. I have one job. I do my job on my, my own business. And, um, you know, you've been around and heard enough. Very rarely we hear something shitty said about us. And generally, you know, it's someone who's kind of a dick anyways. And the person who is bad mouthing you generally isn't going to come to school anyways. They're just going to run their gums like in social media. You know, I, uh, I can use a code name. I don't have to use my real name. Uh, you know, I always use my real name. And if somebody's got a problem with it, then they, you know, can address it that way. So, you know, uh, I, th I think that um, uh, mistakes I made always have insurance, okay, <laughs> which yeah. was not a mistake. But it is if you try to do what we do and don't have insurance. And people go like, well, you know, you're afraid someone's going to get shot. Well, okay. Every Thursday, I invite fourteen people I don't know into my home with guns. <laughs> so, yeah. like, that's part of the reason I don't trust them. But I give them a set of guidelines and parameters. Walk in that very fine line of being rude with people or being forthright. You know, like one of the most dangerous places, as you well know, is the parking lot. You guys have some turd out there racking the action on the gun and shit like that. And I go, I don't do that. Okay, you know. So, um, yeah, you you learn stuff and then. To be honest with you, you know, you can tell people, hey, um, can I put a snap cap in my rifle? And I would go, why? And they would go like, well, you know, let the hammer down. I go, why don't you check the chamber three times, put your finger on the trigger, close the bolt, keep the muzzle in a safe direction. Okay? Yeah. And then don't put a snap cap in. And so, like, got this guy, you know, I come by, I come back five minutes later, he's got a big lip in the parking lot. I go, what? He goes, well, I just got my snap cap out of my pocket, pointed it at your $500 bullet trap and pulled the trigger and it blew a hole in the bullet trap. And I kind of go like, well, then it wasn't a snap cap, was it? Yeah. Right. So, you know, um, you've heard the adage, there's no such thing as stupid questions. That's not true. There are stupid questions, but in my world, it doesn't matter if the person I'm talking to doesn't understand what we're talking about. Then I need to like, if I go, Hey, Guns out of battery, okay? That's why you don't touch people with a semi-automatic pistol when you're rolling around on the ground. And you go like, why would I do that? And I go like, okay, have you ever been in a fight in your whole life? Yes. Did you ever find yourself on the ground in the fight? Yes. Then you're probably going to touch him with the gun, but you can't do it with a semi-automatic. Okay? So it's, it's a dumb question, but it's not if they don't know. So that's part of what we work on. So you said that when you're inviting people to your, to your home, they're armed, and you have a little bit of trepidation in terms of fully trusting them, which I can fully understand. Here's a question for you. After these people leave, do you often find like, man, those are solid people and now I do trust them? Or are you always kind of like, no, but they come back, I got to keep that same reservation. Or do you start to kind of get comfortable with people? No, I, I have probably, to be blunt, I probably overly trust people. But I think if I treat people like they're smart and competent, they will be. If I treat them like an idiot, they'll they'll come up to that standard too. Um, so I have people who come here repeatedly during the year and or year after year, and they always know that when they come, I'm gonna bite them in the ass again about safety and gun handling because safety shouldn't be a set of rules, okay? Because you all know like the four safety rules, everybody knows, okay? Right. But I think gun handling should be a lifestyle, not a set of rules. 
everybody listening to this has broke a rule of some kind. Sure. Okay. But the difference is if you break a rule, okay, and you get in trouble and you have to stay after school, that's one thing. If you send a bullet through the wall and it kills one of your kids, then that's a different thing. Yeah. I mean, you, you're, I, you're definitely known as a, as a very safety minded instructor, but uh, you know, at the same time, you're also teaching this, this life skill of defense. And, you know, a lot of people are, are would be shocked that uh, don't agree with our lifestyle um, to know how safety minded you are, but at the same time, teaching this, this skill of being able to, um, to defend yourself. So, sure. you know, we, we, we had a, a discussion on a pod on one of our podcasts, uh, a couple weeks ago about trap shooters and, um, and toe, uh, toe, um, stands and yeah, it's a little that... leather toe tabs where you point the muzzle at your foot. Yeah. And yeah. I have a boot. I have a boot that I show every class that has a steel toe in it and it has a 12 gauge round all the way through. <laughs> so we, so, like, so this is you, okay? Just like you all know, if you have an AR platform, okay, every time you load the gun, it's an inertia firing pin. The firing pin strikes the primer. The safety only blocks the hammer in the lower half of the gun. So that means you got to watch what's going on with the gun all the time. So that's that's a lifestyle. That's gun handling. And the people that are listening to this need to understand the absolutely most dangerous person to you is the person that you live with and trust the most because they wouldn't intentionally hurt you. Yeah. But then sometimes they get complacent with gun handling. Yeah. And then hey, I don't want to tell my wife, hey, if I point a gun at her, she, <laughs> I, I was gonna, she tells me, okay? And that wasn't the word I was thinking of, okay? <laughs> tell me, if I do the same thing. I mean, it's that, but it's a separate entity. It's, you know, you can't communicate. I love you. And I'm mad at you. Okay. Just like every morning when I wake up, I go, Heidi, I love you. And I'm sorry. And they go like, <laughs> what's that for? well, that way I got my first, I'm sorry. in of the day. <laughs> so I, you know, so it's safe to say, I think you think that the toe, the toe, uh, uh rest is a little, uh, not appropriate. I'm the a whole big, thing, I, the whole I'm, thing is stupid. Really bad. I, well, it's I I'm I want to talk about it for a few seconds because I'm a big shotgun guy. I love shooting trap. I love shooting ski. It's it's probably one of my favorite things to do. I do not participate in that, and and maybe it's subconsciously for the reasons that you're talking about. It just doesn't seem safe to me, no matter what. Um, but everywhere I go, I see people doing it, and my joke was, I don't see a lot of one legged trap <laughs> shooters or skeet shooters out there. And you know, let me let me piggyback on what Keith's saying. So where this came up was a friend of ours posted on Instagram a picture of a guy putting you know toe resting and saying how it was unsafe and my point to this person was uh clearly the breach was open you could see there were no shot shells in it if you know the condition of your gun that that is as safe as plenty of other situations you're in and in this particular person's case they carry appendix and i said appendix yeah. you're clearly breaking one of those safety rules and I would Absolutely. argue that you could do a lot more damage than the guy with an empty chamber putting the barrel of the shotgun on his toe. So I'm not I'm not saying one is good or one is bad. I'm just saying we have to be careful of not being hypocritical in our in our thought process. But with that, what are your thoughts on appendix carry in and that practice? Okay, so I have a friend who's a doctor in Spokane who called me two weeks ago. The guy had appendix carry. He shot himself in the top of the dick. Huh. Came out the dick it went through his ball sack it went through his leg and down through his knee oh. okay i kind of go hey that's pretty easy neutered and tutored with one round stupid okay? <laughs> don't neutered. point the gun dunk, okay and if you want to stand with a shotgun and have it rest on your foot i think that's completely up to you okay but i don't think that it should be mandated that i have to do that i don't Correct. particularly yeah. care when people cradle a shotgun swing it over their shoulder even though the breech is open See, this is where we get into lifestyle. We talk about gun handling. And in my world, to be honest with you, skeet shooting is a freaking game. No one gives a shit. You're killing something you can't eat, so who cares? <laughs> what I'm talking about and why I don't get into that world, okay, is because I don't care about that. And if they want to do it that way, that's their gig, okay? But, like, when people come here to shotgun school, I go, like, nope, no decking around, none of that stuff, okay? And there are different entities, so, like, you know, what is an apple? One might be an orange. And the guy goes, well, you're a hypocrite. And I go, like, yeah, well, I also have only been shot one time, and that was by somebody else. And I'm not <laughs> being shot again. So you get to point the gun at your foot if you want. I personally don't think it's a good idea. And people go, like, well, the breach is open and the rounds are clear. Yeah, okay, but most fights take place in a little altered or failing light, and I'm worried about fighting. I'm not worried about some guy trying to kill some little 
not biodegradable piece of shit thing flying through the sky. So is it safe to say that you are not for appendix care? You, you discourage? No, I absolutely am opposed to it. And I understand that it's very vogue, but I also understand that I can show you a holster made 1878, okay, where it was an appendix carry, but it was also a single action army and there was no round under the hammer in single action armies unless you were getting ready to go into the OK Corral and you put a six round in the gun because if you look at the gun, it's vehemently, remarkably unsafe, okay, if you have a round under it in a single action army because all I got to do is whack the top of the hammer with a stick and the gun goes off and there you go. So a lot of problems that you deal with today for you guys, like in podcasts and stuff, is people don't understand history. They think that the appendix carry is new. It's not. Find me something today that's new besides high-quality flashlights, okay, and technology with little red dots on TV screens on guns. You know what I'm saying? Do you get a um, lot of students who come and shoot appendix, and when they're there, I mean, you just you work with that? Yeah, I work with it. I got no problem with it, but I walk right up to them and go, if you shoot yourself in the dick, it's on you. It's not on me, okay? Because when you're like back and you try to grab the gun to shoot at a target that's coming at you, that muzzle is covering your crotch, your feet, your legs, and all your stuff. So if you want to carry it that way, it's cool. But, you know, it's like carrying the gun in the small of the back. You sound right? you sound like Mike did. Uh, you know, Mike was was terrified of shooting himself in the dick. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I had to work my way up to a pe- I really didn't want to do it. But it, I have to tell you, it's the it really I'm a very thin guy in stature. And it's the it really is the easiest way for me to conceal a gun. I but I do even to this day, uh, it 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 gives me the willies. And <laughs> I I actually move the barrel, Clint, closer to the femoral because if I'm going to shoot myself, I'd rather die. I don't want to have no dick. Yeah, yeah, just bleed out. That's the real yeah. Thing. I'd rather be dead than There's no dick. There's all kinds of stuff down there, you know. Yeah, so. if I'm going to die, I want to die with all my parts, you know. Yeah, I teach that ninety, probably five percent plus of the people carrying a handgun concealed are probably better if they carried the gun on the strong side, strong hand, and then either inside or outside. And the deal with it is, is like a lot of the problems what you talk about, like appendix carry and whatever, is because people have absolutely shitty holsters, okay? And then, you know, they're bending over, the gun falls out. And so I think that the gun needs to be carried as a platform, like a belt with a holster that fits the gun yeah. with the magazine pouch, et cetera. And we've all taken magazines and stuck them in our pocket as we went out the door. Sure. And I tell people, Hey, I got it. I know you do that. You know, I do that, but we've all done that, but I need for you to go to the range and put the magazine in your pocket upside down and backwards. So it's absolutely <laughs> as shitty as it can be when you practice that way, when you dig it out, then you need, I think the fancy college orders is the ability to have a tactile feel of what the gun feels like, the magazine, et cetera. Because most of this shit is not, you're not going to have time to go, I'm going to use the five count draw. One, I get the gun. Two, I start it out. And besides that, if you thought there was a problem, you should have had the gun out to start with. Because the world's fastest draw is to have the gun in your hand, not yeah. where it's located. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? And so, there you go. The firearms community is known for having trends that sort of come and go. Aside from appendix carry, what's one trend that you wish never came and would just go? <laughs> Probably 380s and smaller. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm with you on that. I had a, about a half a second of owning a 380, and I hated it every second of owning it. So <laughs> I'm with you, yeah. Well, I didn't say, you know, somebody goes, well, it's better to stick. Well, I'm going to be really honest with you. If you know the Vietnam-era entrenching tool, that's a wooden handle, a shovel blade, and a spike on the back. If I was fighting somebody inside a room, I would rather fight him with a shovel than a handgun, okay? Because I know if I hit him in the head with a fucking shovel, that's going to change something, okay? Uh, you know, 80% of all people, including people who shot multiple times with handguns, survived. And that, look it up. I'm not, you yeah. know. No, I think that's the the, com- the most common misconception, right? I mean, there are... Right, right. There it's are pe- a tool of, you know, it's a tool of convenience, not a tool of effectiveness. That's where people get confused about handguns. You know, they want to like, well, this is going to be awesome. Well, here's the deal. It can't knock down whoever you're shooting. The laws of physics don't allow it. Okay. So it's a piss poor tool to fight with. Now, is it better than fighting with your fist? Sure. You know, is it better? I mean, would you rather have a 22 or a stick? Mm, Don't press me on that one. Okay. (laughs) can I be killed by a 22? Yeah, I can be killed by a piece of the space shuttle falling from the sky too. You know, so um, what people forget is you're going to bet your life on your choice at arm's length. 
I don't care how you carry it if you're comfortable with it. But like I had a guy last week in class that had a gun. He, it's a CZ-75. So he's left-handed. If you know CZ-75s, it's a right-handed gun. And, you know, the guy is struggling with taking the safety off and on. And I go like, well, here's the thought. Why don't you just put the hammer down and take the safety off? That way your first shot doubled, the rest are single, da 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 Well, here's a real thought for you. Why don't you buy a Glock? Because it's both right and left-handed. Yeah. You know, uh, why make your fight harder by having a tool that you have to struggle with, okay, when you're getting it out of the holster? Well, you know, I'm not comfortable with the hammer back. Well, then that means you need to pull the hammer back and put the safety on and carry the gun around empty for a week or two, much like you got used to having the willies about having <laughs> the gun pointed at your dick. You and know, I so. did do, by the way, I did carry empty for a, a while. I just walked around sure. with it empty to get used to it. Yep. You know, I can tell you as a cop, I carried a 1911 on the street and more times than I can tell you. You know, you get done rolling around, putting handcuffs on, you reach back in your holster and the safety's not off. Yeah. Right? But none of that matters as long as I don't put my finger on the trigger. So you sure. can carry it a style, but you can't reholster the gun, okay, with your finger on the trigger, especially if your heart rate's 300, you got shit in your shorts, okay, you just got done fighting somebody, you shot someone, and now I'm going to put the gun away. And I got to go, okay, when you put it away, be really careful. <laughs> Right. You you have an interesting collection of quotes that have been uh, attached to your name. Uh, one of the ones that I really enjoyed was uh, the two most, most important rules in, in gunfighting are uh, always cheat and always win. Um, is is there something, a, a quote of yours or something that you say all the time that you'd like uh, like our listeners to take away from, from this uh, discussion? Yeah, don't stand up in a rifle fight. <laughs> okay don't stand up in a rifle fight all right i can do that <laughs> i'd probably be on the ground uh first anyway yeah i'm pretty short i it would be like sitting down anyway right <laughs> yeah. and every I, the, the family vacation one that that's a really good one okay because yeah. people don't think that way okay you do not want to learn new shit in the middle of a fight you will but you won't like it okay? I, I i also like that uh every round out of the chamber is a has a has a lawyer attached to it too yeah. That's actually Heidi's. Okay? okay. So is that really hers? Because I've heard that a million times and I didn't know that it was from, from you guys. Is that really hers? Yeah, that's hers. That's the first place I ever heard it. That's cool. So, well, we'll give her credit for it. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. 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 So we had uh the privilege of having uh Steve Fisher in our studio a while back. We've actually interviewed him twice on the show. And when we had him here, he said that men like Jeff Cooper and yourself are the shoulders on which the training industry stands on. He went on to then say to us that men like yourself are from a bygone era and really not replaceable. So my question for you is when you decide that it's time for you to ride off into the sunset, who do you feel is best suited to carry on the torch of the traditions that you've started? You are. There you go. And the list are. And they should practice, you know, this lifestyle of gun handling. They should you know, train their, you know, whoever in your house is the least prepared to shoot the gun is the person who will wind up with it. So like, you know, and my wife is different. You know, when I buy a gun that's really good, like a gap rifle, I buy my wife a gap rifle. You know, I just bought a SIG cross and I bought her a SIG cross. Um, I never want, you know, um, I've been, you know, nailed with like, you know, you're a 1911 guy. And I go, show me one place in writing where I said that. Show me one place in writing where I said everyone should carry 1911. No, no, no one should. And so like people go like, well, so like right now while I'm sitting here talking to you, I have a Glock 17 and people go, well, that's, you know, okay, well, you know, here's the difference between me and you. When I draw the pistol out, I already believe it's not going to work. So I anticipate shooting every round of the gun till I end the fight. I don't do range drills. That's one of the things that if you want to have a podcast sometime and talk about it, you know, people will go like two of the chest and one in the head and all that other crap. Okay. First of all, it doesn't always work. You know, the original Mozambique in the airport in Mozambique, the guy hit two centers with a high power and then leaned on the trigger and shot the guy in the lower jaw. Now it worked. Right. But, you know, the one that everyone bases all this magic off of, there is no magic. It's not going to work. You need the mindset that it's not going to work. And what will I do next? That's what you need. So, a couple things here. One, I, I actually like what you said. You're, you're a very humble man, but I do to some extent agree with what you said in terms of this industry, this uh, this lifestyle of being a gun owner and a gun fighter, if you want to go to that extent of things, 
is really, it is truly up to all of us, right? It really is important that everybody sort of pitch in and be good stewards of, of gun ownership, make sure we hold ourselves to the highest standard. So I agree with everything you just said, but I'm going to press you a little bit here, Clint. There's got to be someone in the industry that you look at and say, this is a really top-notch person that really is the next generation of person in the industry that I, I feel can really move the needle in terms of good things for the gun community. Is there someone that you that you can name or someone that comes to mind? So generally, so you know, Heidi um, and I have a little saying that she gave me when we first got married. What you say about other people says more about you than them. So I have a tendency to stand off of that as far as recommendations because a lot of times I don't know everybody involved. And here, here's a really interesting point in my opinion. Because a guy was in the military for 20 years or a cop for 20 years, that doesn't make them a competent teacher. So when you ask me about, like, who do I look forward in the future, I look forward, okay, to everyone I mentioned, but specifically, you know, if I had to name someone, it would be my students. They're the people that I hammer on hard to make them do, you know, we're trying to generate that. And, you know, like, if you want me to name a name, well, there's lots of names out there. And there's lots of names that have passed that have been really good people. I mean, you know, they, they knew stuff. They did stuff. They had their own way. Some of them were ornery, you know, everybody from, you know, Chuck Taylor, you know, to um, um, the guy from New York, uh, Rogers, Pat Rogers, okay, Louis Auerbuck, you know, there's uh, Jeff Cooper, Ray Chapman, Eldon Carl, you know, Phil Reed, um, you know, there's, I just don't name people because I don't want to have that hung on my shoulder that I made a decision, someone attended a class, they said it was shit. Because I've done this before, and I've had people, and then I've had people make really poor judgment calls in front of my students on the way they behaved. And because I have a website, okay, or I was the warrior parakeet or whatever, okay, that doesn't mean they know how to teach people. And, you know, that's really the deal. The deal with it is, is when you get done, okay, it isn't how I shoot when my students leave. It isn't even where I came from, my background. It's how my students shoot. It's how they think, how they work on it. So I'm not going to give you a specific name so we don't have to ask that question again. <laughs> no worries, no worries. I, I don't think we're, uh, we're we're not the type of people who uh, would, would ask you to say no twice, more than twice. Sure. So. Well, you know, and I don't mean it ugly. <laughs> you and I both no. know that there are a lot of competent people out there. Sure. And you... You mentioned Fisher, you know, he's been here, you know, I, I'd say he's, you know, friend, friend and acquaintance. That's the way I would call that. Um, you know, the, if a guy knows his business, I think the problem with too, when you talk about it, it isn't always the instructor. What the student needs to understand is a lot of what's going to happen when they deal with that is how their attitude is, how they accept the stuff that they're getting. Okay. You know, I've always had people go, well, you know, that was like a shitty class. Well, here's a thought. Maybe you had a bunch of shitty students. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. uh, you can't just fling it on the guy and go, you know, okay, that guy did this for 20 years. So that makes him a competent instructor. You know, um, a lot of people can build a spaceship, but they can't tell you how to do it. I mean, they can build it. Okay. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? So it, it isn't a case of not picking a name or picking somebody. It's, I think that you and I, I'll give you an example. Now you asked me about something that aggravates me industry wise. I'll give you an aggravation for many years. They had what was called the American handgunner award. They gave it out for 10 or 12 years. Guys like Jeff Cooper got it, Masada, you've got it, Ray Chapman got it as an example. And then they quit. And when somebody goes like, why are you quitting? They go, well, we don't see anybody else in the industry. So you're telling me our industry died with all those people? There's no one competent? Okay, and people would go, well, okay, you're an ass, you're bringing it up because you didn't get the award. I'm bringing it up because I don't give a crap, okay? Because every person who's listened to this who won a trophy from the day they were born until today probably has no idea where the trophy is, okay? Yeah. My interest is in people being able to stay alive in a fight. Not, I mean, you know, yeah, there's always an exception. Robbie Latham, he's my friend. He comes here. Guy's a magnificent shot, but he'll tell you, hey, I don't teach tactics. I don't, you know, and I know he does understand tactics and know him because of who he deals with. But he's kind of that way. He knows where he belongs. And without being a dick, he stays in his lane. He stays in the lane of how do I run the gun very, 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 very fast. And I haven't taught with a stopwatch 
for 50 years. And people go like, what? And I go like, I don't is it, yeah, be- is it best for people to just, you know, to, to find someone that they're comfortable with and train with, with those individuals and, and uh, you know, try new people? Yeah, ask questions. What is it that you try to, what is it you're trying to achieve? Do you want to be a SWAT mom or you just want to be able to have a gun safely in your home and not have your children be hurt by it and so on? Got it. Yep. I, I have a, a question uh, that's that's personal to me a little bit, I guess, just because uh, um, I recently purchased one. But h- how did you partner with Nighthawk? I met them. They're nice guys. Uh, we agreed on what we're, we're going to do, and they built a good product. How how much input did you actually have? Did did uh, and and I guess I, I guess I should tell you. I guess I should tell you, Clint. I I bought a Thunder Ranch. Okay. <laughs> so like the the gun is it's very simple. It's a 1911, okay? So the gun belongs to Browning. Nighthawk is replicating it, and they're doing it in a good way. And I had small idiosyncrasies in the gun. Uh, you know, I like the finish, okay? Yeah, the finish uh, is really awesome. Because it helps my eyes as I get older. Um, I really, they made the thumb safety slightly larger, okay? And I like a flat mainstream housing. So, you know, those are, I mean, and not being ugly, but people go like, oh, I'm going to change the clock. Why? Okay, why? Why would you change the Glock? Buy it, get the gun out of the box, and shoot it. And then don't spend $1,500 modifying your gun that costs $500. Yeah. Because then you could buy three more guns that cost $500, and I'd have four. Okay, and that would be really cool, because I always have two that work, because I have spare parts. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, I this is my, my first 1911. Um, I've just always wanted one, and uh, the opportunity presented itself, and uh, I couldn't pass it up and uh i haven't run a ton of rounds through it but i'm i'm really enjoying it it's it is great uh and I, the finish is awesome i i opted for their interchangeable optic system so that i could you know have uh have some fun with a red dot and um and go back to iron sights but you're a young guy say again i said the tv screen is because you're a young guy <laughs> <laughs> that's that's well i like i like the option of being able to do both and uh to sure. be to be honest with you, I, I shoot the iron sights better than I've been shooting the red dot. Yeah, uh, so, I saw the targets. So I, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. But So a little background on this, Clint, is uh, we had those guys on the show, and they were great. I mean, they were they were a fun time, and we, we had a nice conversation. And then shortly after, Keith had the opportunity, and he bought his uh, Nighthawk Thunder Ranch edition, and he sent it back to get the uh, interchangeable optic system put on it, and the gun just disappeared. It vanished for six oh, months. Six months. I mean, we said it was like having a baby, you know. And uh, yeah. we we were like, "Is it going to get here before Clint? Is it going to get here before Clint?" So the gun actually made it to the studio before last we, week. yeah, last <laughs> week, right before you came on. So we were excited that we got to see the gun before we talked to you. Yeah. Well, being blunt, they build a really good product. That's why I do it. I've tried to. If if you go back and research, okay. Um, yes, you know, people go like, well, you know, you like, uh, you said that was a good gun. Uh, I've done very little of that industry wise compared to a lot of what we'll call well-known people. Uh, so I'm very guarded about putting my name and my logo on stuff. I- and, you uh, I've taken a beating from some people about, so, oh, that gun's a piece of shit. Okay. And I kind of go like, well, I don't know. It's interesting that you it's interesting that you say that because Thunder Ranch really has its own version of every platform, Clint, right? Like Mossberg, yeah. you partner with Mossberg, Mossberg. for a shotgun, I, I, Smith yeah. & Wesson and that I I was reading a little bit today before we talked about the uh 44 special which I thought was pretty cool. Um so you've got you you're out there on a bunch of different different places with with your name on it. I mean, it, it's is it is it marketing or is it is it that you just really want you know that your touches on your the gun. touches on the gun, yeah. For example, Smith and Wesson. I'll give you a real short history on it. Okay, the forty-four was very simple, but it was a round butt. Okay, but the reason that we wanted it is because to bring back that end frame forty-four. They sold. You can look at their records. I think they sold four or five thousand in the fifteen or sixteen years. We sold like six thousand in six months. Okay, and I, I don't care about that. Trust me, there isn't. People go like, well, you get a lot of money. Uh, you're wrong. Okay, you'd be stunned at how much money we don't get, but that's cool. That said, the 44, everyone bitched because it had the gold thing on the side. Okay, I don't like it. Okay, well, then don't buy it. Okay, <laughs> you know, and the gold thing was not my idea. That was their idea, the marketing thing. They, well, they yeah. wanted you They wanted you to sign it too, and you said, eh, yeah, maybe not. I'm not signing it. Yeah. <laughs> so then the, 
was the 45. The cool thing about that is I knew they were going to make the end frame, okay, in a square butt, okay, to bring back the Model 29. So I assigned on to do the gun if I could get a square butt because that was the way the original gun was, okay? And then the third gun, that's called kind of the modern error gun because, like, what we did is actually made a platform that would hold a flashlight and a revolver, okay? And it's made out of unobtainium and all that other crap, okay? But, you know, they were 44, 45, so they're all 40-somethings. Um, the two... The two first ones, the 44 and the 45, without being ugly, and like I said, you're smart guys, research it, am I right? And that basically was the foundation for Smith to bring that classic series back of their guns, okay? Because look at all the classic models now, right? Well, listen, the Nighthawk is very tasteful. Uh, it's not gaudy. Um, I bought that particular model because I want to run the gun. I want to carry it. I want to, you know, and I want to use the gun. I don't want it to be a safe queen, so I think that's... I, I mean, I'm asking the man. I think that's why you the input that you did right. have is is what it is. You want it to be run, right? You don't want it to just sure. sit somewhere. I, got, I have gun number one, and I shoot the snot out of it. There you go. There you go. So everything I've taken away from this time with you, Clint, is you are not out there trying to teach some fancy this or that. You're trying to build gunfighters. And I would like to read a quote <clears throat> from the Greek philosopher Heraclitus. He said, out of 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters. And we're lucky to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, but the one. One is a warrior, and he will bring the others back. There's a big difference between shooting a gun and fighting with a gun, in my opinion, Clint. So what are some of the non-shooting aspects that go into becoming an actual gunfighter or the warrior, if you will, from that quote. We're actually talking about survivability. Everybody who listens to this should put a fire extinguisher beside your bed. Statistically, you're more likely to be burned alive in your home than killed in a gunfight. Number one. Number two, I think the idea is, is the idea that you're a gunfighter is probably a bad idea. I think you need to be a competent gun handler. And then you need to have someone that you know or with. Like, here's what I tell people. I said it today. If you're climbing a flight of stairs with a gun in your hand, looking for somebody at the top who's got a gun who's trying to kill you, who are you going to put behind you? Who do you trust? Because absolutely four eyes, okay, four ears and two guns are better than two, two, and one. Sure. Okay? So we have to generate those people. And if you don't have someone, you need to generate someone. I think the other thing is, is like, you know, they say the school is about gunfighting. Literally, honestly, this school is not about shooting. This school is about thinking. Okay, like I don't have a kill house, even though I have this big building, 3,200 square feet. You would call it a tactical house, a shoot house, a kill house. That's all the names that people call it. In our world and my students, we call it a think house. I take them in, not because I want them to do tactics. Okay, I take them in in case they have to do tactics. So none of this is about like, it's not a school about shooting. You know, it's a school about thinking. Okay. And then if I have to shoot, I need to be responsible because like you said, the lawyer and the bullet thing. Okay. And, um, uh, I think that, uh, everybody needs to set their iPhone for 8:41 PM next Thursday night. When it goes off, someone kicked in your front door. What do you have to do to defend yourself when someone just kicked in the front door? You'll get an answer. Then I need the same thing, different time, following week, one guy in the front door, one guy in the back. Well, doesn't that make me paranoid? I go, how many of you got a spare tire in your car? When's the last time you used it? So are we being paranoid or are we being prepared? And so, like, if it turns into a fight, I can squirt him with the foam and beat him with the red can. You know what I'm saying? So it isn't all just about guns. It's about thinking and being smart. You know, like if you walk up to your car and especially, you know, if like you're a woman before you walk to the car, look under the car. OK, put your hand on the trunk lid. Try to lift it. Is anyone in? Look in the back seat before you get in the car. Are you kidding me? OK, so like a lot of people get clipped and they're not thinking they have even limited personal awareness. And I don't mean anything ugly about it. I know there's a lawsuit going on about it now. But, and I, and I honestly, I don't have a mean bone in my body when I say this, but there was a guy last year in Colorado, bad man shot a police officer. Somebody like you and I saw the bad man. We shot the bad man. He's on the ground. We won with a handgun. And then we walk over, put the gun in the holster and pick the rifle up. So when the responding officers are coming, what they see is a man standing over a body and a puddle of blood holding a rifle. And they're responding to an officer needs assistance call. You're probably going to get shot. And he did. 
So in my world, he got an A, double A plus for being honorable and shooting the bad men. But he gets a double F and D for dead, okay, because his personal tactics suck. Okay, right. so, you know, uh, I mean, why would you walk up to a, a store they call a stop and rob? Why would you walk up to that and open the door without looking in first? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you bring up an interesting point. It's it really is about mindset, right? The the mindset sure. and, and forethought of what what you're gonna do or what you would do, running those scenarios through your head and it doesn't make you paranoid. That's the problem, okay? And everybody goes, Well, if I do that, I'm I'm being paranoid. And I go, No, you're not. You're thinking ahead. And I'll go because like we already know, and I said it, okay. You know, all plans are good till they make contact. All right. So like you can have this awesome thing in your head about what you're going to do, but let, you know, let one round go through the wall and hit one of your kids. And now they're laying on the floor with a sucking chest wound. There's not going to be a timeout in this. Okay. So, you know, if I have little kids, which are basically, you know, suitcases full of poop without a handle, (laughs) I need to train my kids. I play a game with them, put them in the bathtub. Why? Because it's the heaviest structure inside your house, unless you have an armored house. Okay. You know, um, so, you know, I, I need to think outside the bubble. It isn't about, Hey, I got a really cool gun and I'm going to shoot someone. Okay. You know, really when you shoot, okay, you're not solving a problem. You're creating one. Sure. Okay. 100%. And is it better to shoot someone than being dead? Well, hell yeah. Everybody knows that. That doesn't take a mental giant, but the drill with it is, it's like, you know, you know, I, I get it every time at the shot show. Someone will ask me, if you have a two-minute warning, Clint, what gun would you get to, to fight with? And I go, I would get my big New Holland tractor. <laughs> I would start it up. I would back it up the garage. I wouldn't even open the door. I'll put it in four here, and I'll be at the bridge, okay, in two minutes. And the price of fixing the tractor, fixing the garage door, okay, and all the other stuff, including the cost of diesel, is going to be cheaper than a lawyer. Sure. Yeah. So why would fight if i can avoid it i i I totally agree i mean i've had this conversation with many people i know about the idea of avoiding a fight and uh i I, yeah that's very good advice i I totally agree and it's not worth putting yourself through that agony if you uh if you have to shoot somebody it's not going to be a not going to be an easy road for you so you're better off avoiding if you can one more quick question for you clint before we move on did uh your your Dodge Challenger did Heidi pick the color or is that is that your color? Uh, that's that's old guy Clint. That's like plum clay crazy well, purple. My dad has the has a uh, three ninety two Challenger. That's that's the same uh, color. I think they changed the name of it in twenty twenty. It's hell raisin purple now, but uh, same yeah. color. And uh, it isn't. I I won't call you an old man, but it's a it's a uh, uh, a classic uh, Mopar color. So good for you. I'm glad to hear it was your color. That you picked. <laughs> very, very cool. Yeah. So Clint, we, uh, I want to be respectful of your time. I told you it was an hour and we're at 58 minutes. I would like to uh, do run and gun with you. It's a tradition on our show and yeah. Keith's going to get a timer up right now. All right, here we go. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? I have a pair of single action armies that are serial number one and two. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Uh, your Nighthawk. <laughs> if you could have a drink, or a Glock. If you could have, yeah, a- I mean, a funny logic. Yeah, I have no use for like a Rigby or a Holland or a Greener. Or, you know, I, I'm like no. So, yeah. If you could have a drink with one person, living or dead, who would it be? Uh, Colonel Cooper. Favorite caliber. Uh, the one that works. Favorite hobby, not gun related. Reloading. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Forgiveness. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved, I think. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Jack. All right. There it is. I have to say it was not the best time, but I could tell that you put a lot of thought into it. And I appreciate that, Clint. And with that said, Clint, I I really want to thank you for coming on the show and talking with us. Uh, What you've contributed to the firearms world is uh, certainly immeasurable. And more importantly, what you've accomplished as a person is is very inspiring. So having the opportunity to talk with you has uh, been an honor and a privilege. And I thank you again for being on the show. I appreciate it. Never forget that what you guys are doing is valuable. Never forget 
like, oh, it's another podcast. Yeah, but if you talk about people, you know, use my guy, their home safely, that's really important. Thank you very much. And to everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media, so be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Discord so we can keep the conversation going.